4: Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday program. I hope that the next hour is informative and exhortation-y, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as I remind you daily, if you have questions and you're driving your car, the safest way to do that is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, it's Tuesday. We got nothing going on, so we'll get right to some questions. I want to start with one that I told Jennifer uh, from San Antonio that I would do some research on. And uh, her question was have you done any research on pastor Steve Gregg and the narrow path and uh, Jennifer yesterday it just didn't hit me as soon as I got off the air I thought of course I know Steve Gregg so yeah I know Steve Gregg he is a a good Bible teacher uh, really gifted uh, was a Calvary Chapel pastor uh, in years past uh, very very smart guy has a radio, not a radio program, but a but a a, a blog and a, a podcast, I guess you call it. Um, and and he takes questions the same way I do on this program. So uh, I've not met Steve in person, um, but uh, he's got a good reputation among Calvary Chapel pastors. And I'll tell you, the only reason he left Calvary Chapel is because he came up with a different position on eschatology. Um, he changed from being a Pre-trib, pre-mill believer in in eschatology uh, to uh, to another position, and one of the distinctives of Calvary Chapel is that we are very solidly um, pre-mill, pre-trib. We believe that that the church is going to be raptured prior to uh, the great tribulation. Uh, Christians can't go through the great tribulation, but certainly Jennifer, that is not. Uh, an essential of the historic Christian faith reasonable people can disagree on it. I, I can say that he's wrong, but um, You're gonna get a lot of good information from Steve Gregg, so um, feel free to listen and enjoy um, Just understand that he's gonna be talking a little bit differently about in times things than you might be used to hearing Good question. Thank you very very much. Here is a question from Hold on, I can't get it up. My computer's doing something funny, so I can't do. Hold on. There. <laughs> my goodness. Oh, that's not it. Yeah, I get the wrong thing. I don't know why my computer's doing this. I can't see you guys. Know that, so please be generous. Here's here's the question. I finally got it up. This is from George from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts on Priscilla Shirer? I see her as another Joyce Meyer, but I don't know much of her. I understand that a woman cannot be a pastor, but I see her traveling and uh, leading sermons at churches uh, where there are men uh, in attendance. Is she a pastor personally? Would you allow a woman to preach at your church while men are sitting there? Um, George, a couple things. Priscilla Shire and Joyce Meyer are nothing alike. Um, uh, Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Um, And she needs to be avoided by real believers. Uh, Priscilla Shirer, she's been taught really well. She's the daughter of Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, She's been taught really, really well. She clearly has the gift of teaching. Uh, She is a good communicator. Uh, And the circles that she travels in, especially in the black church or black churches, rather than make it specific, just generally. Um, you know, they're used to having women who are preaching and in and, and, and many cases, pastoring or co-pastoring churches. So um, um, I would say that when she goes to those churches, she is a blessing to them. They're going to get good, solid doctrine, uh, maybe a little bit on the motivational side. But uh, Priscilla Shirer is uh, is uh, doctrinally very, very sound. Um, you're right that women cannot be pastors. And yet we see. Women who are occupying the role of pastors in churches, and as I say often when I get this question, which I get often, uh, the responsibility is the the pastor of that church, and that church is settling for less than God's best. It's that simple. Uh, I would not allow a woman to preach at our church on a Sunday service uh, or a mixed service where where, uh, the Bible is being taught. Um, The only exception to that rule would be it wouldn't be a Bible teaching But, for example, if there was a woman who uh, wanted to give a testimony or something, uh, I would have, in in a minute, I would have Johnny Erickson Tata speak to my church. I think she would be such a blessing to them uh, based on what she's been through and and the the, the complete triumphant faith that she has demonstrated for many, many years. Uh, My pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, he had Elizabeth Elliott, Um, speak in his church not as a pastor not preaching but just an opportunity to share from uh in in that case a woman who has been through so very very much and has done so gloriously for the glory of god and and i think there is an opportunity there george for for a church to be um, really really blessed but not as a pastor not in a bible teaching as such But if somebody was to share a testimony, it would be somebody that I would have to know their story, I would know their history, and there would be some compelling reason that I would allow that to happen. But no, um, uh, I teach Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel on Wednesday, on Friday, and three times on Sunday, and uh, um, I would not permit a woman to do those things in my stead. Um, But again, if there was, uh, if Johnny Eccleston taught a, um, wanted to come to my church, I would say, come ahead, come ahead. So, George, I hope that makes sense to you. I think one of the things that we we, we, we want to be so linear about these things, black and white, and I think we've got to balance. I think uh, the body of Christ can be a blessing. Uh, coming from all different directions, and we can do that and still recognize that women cannot be pastors. Priscilla Shirer does not consider herself a pastor. I've never heard her call herself a pastor, Um, and as I said, she has been taught well. She's Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans' daughter. Here is a question from Darren. Pesteron, what are your thoughts about the Black National Anthem? I knew I was going to get this question after the Super Bowl. By the way, I didn't see it because we were at a wedding, and so I didn't get to see the first part of the of the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts about the Black National Anthem? Um, many Republicans are being talked about because they didn't stand up during the Black National Anthem during the Super Bowl. This is it something every ethnicity needs to have their own anthem? Um, Darren, I, I, let me before I answer your question. Let me just say this. You need to guard your heart. I mean, we can really quickly cross that line of racism and and being prejudiced. I'm not talking about people's perception. But if we get angry about things like this, if we are going to be at odds with people over a song like this, um, then we need to check our own heart. We need to check our own hearts. So if you're angry about a black national anthem, yeah, probably you need to check your heart. Um, I, I, I would not stand for the black national anthem, uh, because it's simply not traditional. Um, I don't think every ethnicity needs to have a national anthem. We have one nation and our nation is supposed to be a nation for all of the people. Um, Darren, I, I just think just don't get angry about stuff like this. Understand that these are not believers. Understand that their perspective and yours are different. Their kingdom is here. Our kingdom is above. And I think too often we find ourselves getting irritated and our witness is compromised in the process. Uh, if somebody asked me, well, well, I can't believe they had the Black National Anthem at the Super Bowl. Um, ask them why. Why? Our, our whole world is race conscious. That has been the result of, I don't know, the last 12 years. Let me change it. The last 16 years of our country and the political system here, pitting one race against other races. And we can't be involved in that. Understand that the networks are doing everything they can to be as left as they can to be as woke as they can. And we're going overboard to do these things. So uh, the Black National Anthem, you can mute, you can walk out when they're playing it. But to get angry about it is something that we really have to be careful of. And no, I don't think every ethnicity needs to have their own anthem. I think what we need to do as a nation is understand that there's one race, and it's the human race. And in that human race, because we're tainted with a sin nature, there's a lot of people who are really, really awful people. There's a lot of people who are racist people. Don't let others cause you to react and cross that line. Here's an anonymous question. It says, uh, what I'm reading is that souls fellowship and evidently know each other. To me, that means they... Know each other, but they're invisible leaving the body when someone dies. I've never seen one. But in Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 11, I believe it was John who saw them under the altar of God. Uh, my question is will they have changed bodies as soon as they die on earth during the tribulation? Uh, if the souls of Christians are not visible, how was he able to see them? And besides, Uh, Why would God give a white robe to a soul? Bodies wear robes uh, because robe is a spiritual form or is a form of physical clothing, rather. Uh, Anonymous, a couple of things. One, Revelation chapter chapter 6, when John sees that, he's seeing a vision. Uh, God is trying to communicate uh, something that's going to happen um, thousands of years later. I mean, John saw that in about 90 A.D., and, and uh, we're still waiting for Jesus to return, take the church home, and begin the Great Tribulation. So, so the, the Lord was communicating to John something that was going to happen in the future. And he's doing it in a way that he would, he would be able to understand what was happening. And those souls that are under the altar in Revelation chapter 6, those are the Tribulation martyrs. Those are the people that got saved during the Great Tribulation. And of course, they're going to die. They're going to die for their faith. And uh, and they're waiting, and they're calling out, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And God says, just a little while longer, be still. So that really doesn't have anything to do with the, 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 the question you asked uh, about uh, spirits being invisible and whether they have a, a physical body or not. Now, um, there are two f- schools of thought here, and I'll make it really clear which one I subscribe to. Uh, the first is that Uh, When we die, our spirit goes to heaven, and our spirit is not uh, reunited with our physical bodies until uh, Jesus comes for his church in the rapture. Uh, I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that's the case. The Apostle Paul says, and this is the position that I take, the Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not just our spirit. Uh, I believe that that transition occurs the moment that we go into the presence of Jesus. We're given our glorified, resurrected physical bodies. I think what happens, Anonymous, is that when we die, and I have been in a hospital room a lot uh, when, when somebody was just about to die, and I always want to explain to them, this is what's going to happen. You know, people don't like to talk about, no, we got to pray that he's going to get better or she's going to get better. No, the person who's in the hospital is one we're ministering to, and they want to know. And when I know somebody's a believer, I want them to know that, that at that the moment when this body gives out, there's going to be an angel here. And just before that, that instant, that nanosecond that your body gives out, The angel's going to take your spirit out of this old, tired, worn-out body, and instantly you'll be in the presence of the Lord with a physical body. Now, John says, we don't know what we will be, but we do know this. When we see him, we will be like he is. And Jesus, of course, is in his physical, resurrected, glorified body. So uh, I believe very strongly, Anonymous, that we will have our physical bodies and uh, the, you're on the right track here except that Revelation 6 doesn't have anything to do with that because that's just a vision that John was given and he's writing trying to describe what he saw and God was letting him look down the corridor of time and space. So I think that's really important. Uh, I, you know I, I think intentionally, one of the things I tell people that are about ready to die I let them know that nobody in the room will be able to see the angel except them. When you said you've never seen one, um, in, the, the spirit is invisible leaving the body, but the angel is invisible as well. So it's a very private, it's, it's the angel escorting us to our own place at the right time when we're going to see Jesus. You know, we look at death as this horrible thing. But death is really freedom. It's an escape from the confines of our old, tired bodies. It's an escape from the evil and the wickedness in this world. And it really is a beautiful thing. The problem we have with death is that we hurt so much for those that we love. Um, The reality is that we're the ones who try to make ourselves comfortable. If we're really thinking about the person who just went to be with Jesus, Peter says, receiving the goal of their salvation, um, we would be rejoicing for them. Um, I was with a, a lady last week. We're having a memorial service this coming Saturday for her. And she was so faithful. And uh, her husband went to be with the Lord before she was. And I had this conversation with her in the hospital uh, last week in and explaining what was going to happen and everything. And, and she was smiling as much as you can when you're intubated. But but um, uh, it was just one of those beautiful times. And I believed that the Lord was speaking to my heart, that she was ready to go very, very soon. So we, we dealt with it from that perspective. And, of course, she went to be with the Lord the very next morning. And, um, you know, that's a good thing. And I was talking to her daughters, and, uh, you know, everybody's sad. They're, you know, we're still praying for a miracle. Of course we are. But she's ready to go. She's going to see Jesus. She's going to be there with her husband. And they're going to rejoice together, looking at face. It shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. And then I said, you know, aren't we really selfish jerks and jerkettes? I mean, we really only care about us. And they laughed and said, you're right. And, you know, I think that's an important perspective. So, Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Um, Our bodies will be changed, I believe, as strongly as I possibly can, that our physical bodies uh, will go to be in the presence of the Lord. And it won't be a body, thank the Lord, like this body that I'm carrying around right here on earth. Good question. Thanks very, very much. Here's a difficult question. These kind of questions are always difficult. This is from our email inbox from Jerry. Uh, And they're difficult because I never, get. you know, it's impossible in an email to get all the information. So he says, Pastor, my mom is a professing Christian, but her fruits don't show. Long story uh, short, she and I are always bumping heads when it comes to the Bible. I mentioned to her the day that Jesus uh, doesn't answer prayers. I mentioned to her the day, it doesn't make sense, one day that Jesus doesn't answer prayers except for salvation unless you're saved. Another disagreement is about female pastors and tithing, both unbiblical, but her church says it's fine. My mom and I were very close until I was saved about 10 years ago. Our relationship really tanked. Her being a professing Christian for 20 years, I never saw Jesus in her life. Now when I show or try to show love, she throws things in my face about my kids not seeing her, I don't call or talk enough to her, or I'm not showing interest in her bingo or casino weekends. I simply told her I need to protect my children, and the Bible says family members will separate one from another. My question is: Is what is love in terms of effort? I need to show her there's nothing in common when I talk about Jesus' word. She always disagrees with me. My wife has told me to cut her off again. Parentheses: I cut her off before. I'm not sure what to do. Any biblical advice? Yeah, let me, Jerry. This is the most important biblical advice that you can have in your situation. Then I'll I'll go on to some of the other issues. Stop arguing with her. You see, you're always bumping heads. It takes two to bump heads. Just make sure your head is not available to be bumped. Don't get angry. Don't debate with her. Don't try to change her. Let her see the joy of the Lord in your life. And instead of trying to convert her to what you believe about the Bible, she's going to church. Uh, I hope she's a Christian. You say there's no fruit that's ever been mentioned in her life or or demonstrated in her life. Um, That means... It's more important for you not to argue with her. Don't talk about these things. I always have this one rule. When people stop listening, I stop talking. And um, that's the, that's a good rule of thumb for this situation. Show her the joy of the Lord. Now, if it comes to a time when because of some of the things that she's doing and your kids around, when you've got to say, Mom, I can't let my kids come to your house. We're not going to be over because you're doing this or you're doing that. Well, that's a decision you're going to make based on on, on her behavior. And if her behavior is ungodly, then I wouldn't want my kids around her either. But then you've got to be honest, in love with that, and just say, Look, Mom, I'd love to have my kids around you, but when I ask you not to do this, you know, sometimes it's language, sometimes it's movies, sometimes it's smoking or drinking, whatever it is. I, I don't want our children around that kind of language or that kind of behavior watching those kind of of movies or TV programs. And, And because you won't honor that, then I have no choice really except to keep my kids away. And then ask her just to pray about it. Just pray about it. But don't argue with her about it. You can't change your mind. That much is clear by now. But believe me, the one thing you don't want to do is argue with her about those things. If you've got to take a stand because of her lifestyle or behavior, then that's okay. Um, she says she doesn't, uh, you're not showing interest in her bingo or casino weekends. So, well, mom, as a Christian, how can we? I'm not interested in casino weekends, I'm not interested in your bingo games. Uh, I'd love to be here with you and talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives or in your life, but you don't want to talk about that. So there's really not a lot for us to talk about, but you can do that with kindness. Uh, I did a Bible study very recently, and um, one of the things that I told our church is you can be kind and direct at the same time. Being direct doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. Being direct doesn't mean that you have to be unloving. You can be kind and direct at the same time. And then you put herself, put her in a position where she's got to make the choice. If she wants to be around you and your kids, then this is the kind of behavior that we're going to expect. Now, I think the, thing, the other thing here that bothers me in this email, uh, Jerry, is that uh, you're, you said, my wife has told me to cut her off again. Um, boy, I don't like that attitude in Christians. Cutting people off ought to be something that breaks our heart. It ought to be something that's sad, and it ought to be something that spurs us to pray for these people. You know, Paul says in First Corinthians 13, no matter what you have to say, no matter how right you are, no matter how much you share, if you're not speaking in love, you're just making noise. And this is a noisy world that we live in. Don't let your mom goad you into these arguments. You're not a victim in this. You have the power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. And what I'd like you to see to see you do is use that power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to exercise self control. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self control. And bumping heads. Isn't included in that list. In fact, if you go back to the bad fruits of the flesh, in just a couple of verses earlier, in Galatians five, starting in verse nineteen, uh, that kind of horrible fruit is found in the list of the deeds that are motivated by the flesh. So, Jerry, please, 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 don't argue. Second Timothy chapter two, verse fourteen says, "Keep reminding people of these things. Warn them before God about quarreling words." They are of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. So don't let somebody else drag you into their mud. Stay above it and always be loving. And I promise you, your mother, the Holy Spirit, loves her. He wants to go get her. He'll make sure that she notices there's a difference. Thank you, Jerry. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in our program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You are listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We will be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
4: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your input. 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Let me spend just another couple of minutes on that last question from Jerry and Bumping Heads or arguing. You know, the Bible says that we're going to give account. The Bible's written for Christians. Written to Christians. We're going to give account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. Hurtful word. Ugly words. Malicious words. We're going to stand before Jesus and have to explain those. How are we going to explain arguing? Now, obviously, we live in a culture where everybody's opinion matters, and sadly, to our shame as Christians, we get engaged in vitriol, we engage in in debate and arguing online all the time. Politics, things that really shouldn't matter that much to us. We're always engaged. Our opinion has to be made. We have been trained by social media. Now remember who the ruler of the air is or the prince of the air. It's Satan himself. And we get involved. We let our guard down. And behind a keyboard we can be super ugly. And at least initially there's no consequence. But I want everybody in this audience to think about explaining the things that you say and the things that you write and the things that are not motivated by love. And as Christians, we can spiritualize anything. Oh, no, I love them. That's why I'm telling them the truth. Um, um, no, we don't need to do that. We, we're not motivated by love. Be honest. And so just don't engage. We should be the light of this world. Our speech, Paul says, should be seasoned with salt, full of grace, but seasoned with salt. And when we're arguing, we want to force somebody to believe what we believe or to to agree with our opinion on something. When we want to win an argument, then let me just say one word, flesh. And we're supposed to crucify the flesh, die to our flesh every day. So um, please take that to heart. Let's go to Jerry on line one from San Antonio. And I assume this isn't the Jerry that just wrote in.
2: Not the same one, Pastor Ron. This is the the cavalry, Jerry. Okay, hi, Jerry. I, I don't I don't know what the odds are of two Jerries in a row, but if somebody <laughs> if the name Tom calls in, you can call it the Tom and Jerry show today. Okay. <laughs> um, here's a verse. I need you to to help me to understand. I've been looking at this for a couple of days. It's in uh, Matthew chapter twelve, verse thirty one and thirty two. And niv version says and so i tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven and then verse 32 anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven but anyone who speaks against the holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come so i need i'm confused a little bit because Everything is one and the same, like the egg is the eggshell, the egg white, the egg yolk. That's one thing. <laughs> so, I thought the spirit and Jesus, everything was, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was one. To me, this makes it sound like they're they're separate. Do, do you kind of understand what I'm what I'm saying you, here? Yeah,
4: I think Jerry, I, I do. They're not they're 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 uni- unified, completely in unity with one another but the father son and spirit are all separate persons of that one god a triune god one god the lord our god is one god but clearly he is evident or manifest in three persons the father right. uh, sends the right. son to reveal the father the the son sends the holy spirit to reveal the son and so what what Jesus is saying here now remember the jewishness of this message um, the Jews that Jesus was speaking to knew nothing of of, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, they, they knew the Hebrew Shema, the Lord your God is one God. And what Jesus is telling them here um, in this passage of Scripture, and the other Gospels, two other Gospels mention the same thing. Jesus, the, the first verse before verse 31, and here's the context, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And then it says, therefore, the reason that's there is from what comes forward. He says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Jerry, is the continuing ongoing rejection of the Spirit's work unto death. Now, we need to know what the Spirit's work is. Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He convicts us of, of uh, and, and I, in this take case, convinces us that there is a path to righteousness. And that path to righteousness is through Jesus Christ. And if we don't accept that path, then there's going to be judgment. And, and when people die, and this is the only unforgivable sin, when people die in, uh, in that condition, there's no remedy for sin left. And so that's why that sin and that sin alone is unforgivable. Now, when you get down to verse 32, it says anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Remember that they're accusing him of doing miracles by the power of the devil. And so that's what he's saying. When you're speaking that word against me, you're attributing my work, my miracles to the power of the devil, then that's a place where it can't be forgiven. I mean, if if you continue in that path, then... God is going to reject you. And um, uh, he says, whoever speaks against Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. So what he's telling this Jewish audience is that you got to look to me. And if you're going to attribute the work of the devil, or, or the work of God to the work of the devil. Then you've crossed that line, or you're perilously close to crossing that line. So Jerry, that's all he's talking about there. But but understand and and then he says at the end of this by the way he says either um make the tree good and its fruit good or else take the tree make the tree bad and its fruit bad. A tree is known by its fruit. And and, and here's what he's saying, be honest about who you are. And then he goes on to talk to him about being a brood of snipers, snakes, whitewash tombs and those kind of things. So Jerry, that's that's what's going on right there. Thank you for the question, Jerry. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, here is a question from, or we, we've got a caller here from uh, Greg. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Greg right. from Boverdi online, too. Greg, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh You know, I've been listening to you. I got kind of, kind of on a little bit late today. And then just once you understand the impact that you have on us folks out here listening, you know, you, you made a comment about the radio being kind of quiet and. Okay, I got I got a call, I just got a call. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm listening to you. I'm washing my car out here, and and uh, you know I had that same anticipation. I look forward to your show coming on every day at four o'clock. And I catch it as often as possible, just like before when when Rush Limbaugh used to come on at at eleven <laughs> o'clock. You know, the same things that in you know not not to compare you with Rush. Yeah, but I had same anticipation. You know, and, and and I believe he was a born-again Christian. I've listened to him long enough. But, you know, I look forward to it. a guy here today. like, oh, my gosh, it's 10 after 4. I'm missing Pastor Ron. i got to <laughs> run to the radio and turn it on, you know.
4: Oh, bless sure. so, you. Oh, thank you, Greg. That's very nice.
3: Well, I just had a good question about the comments you made earlier about being um, president. Uh, uh, you mentioned about with Paul. Uh, to be asked from the body to be president of the Lord. So you're of the opinion based on scripture that when we die, we're not going to just be in our spirit with Jesus. We're going to be in a resurrected body with Jesus.
4: Yes, that's right.
3: Wow. Okay. Is there but, any other scripture besides that one that, that kind of you know backs that up?
4: Yeah. But both Paul and John uh, mention that when we, uh, and remember they were, they were trying to get a grip on what, this was all about as well. But what they're saying is, look, we don't know what we will be. Um, they're, they're just being honest. But we do know this, that when we are with him, we will be like him, or our body will be like, our lowly body will be like his glorious resurrected body. And and if that's the case, then necessarily we have to be in a physical body because Jesus's body is physical. There's something else I think it's, that's that's curious to me, and I, I you can't make a doctrine off this. But but you remember that uh, Jesus made it clear that demonic spirits hated being disembodied. They hated being disembodied. There's something about the spirit world that wants a host or wants a physical body. And that's why they begged him uh, in the case of, of the Ten Cities. They begged him to, to let let them go into the pigs. And Jesus let them do that. I don't know why spirits don't. Uh, why it's so uncomfortable to be disembodied, but it's clear that it is. And and I think that same thing would be true. I think the reason that we're going to have a a glorified physical body is because a a spirit that is disembodied is sort of incomplete, and we know that that's not going to be the case. So, uh, again, I want to acknowledge that there are probably more people who disagree with that position that I take than who agree with it, but I just don't think they've really thought it through and I don't think that they've um, um, really looked at the. our body is going to be just like his body. And while that's hard for us to understand, um, even, even to, to conceptualize, uh, the one thing that I know for sure is that his body is glorified and physical. Remember when he popped in through the, the, the upper room and his disciples were there for fear of the Jews. They were locked up in the room. And Jesus said, Shalom, or peace. And, uh, and then he said, Thomas, touch and feel. Um, and, and when he ate, he did that. A spirit doesn't eat, but a body does. And he wanted to demonstrate that he had a glorified, physical, resurrected body. He didn't come out of the tomb. He was human, 100% man. But he, he didn't come out of the tomb as a disembodied spirit. He came out as a glorified, physical, resurrected spirit. So, Greg, again, there are people that disagree with me on this. Uh, it's certainly not an essential of our faith. Uh, we're going to find out when we die. But, but I think, at least from my perspective, it's very clear that if we're going to be like him, when we see him, we don't know what it's going to be like. But when we see him, we'll be like he is. Well, he is in a physical body. So when the wedding supper of the Lamb, when, when, when we're taken to the, to the, to the third heaven, uh, rapture of the Church. Uh, we're going to eat, and a spirit doesn't eat, so we're going to eat and and um, have a banquet, get married to Jesus. The marriage will be consummated. So that's the reason I, I believe so strongly. For well, I got some other weird ideas about that, Greg, but I won't go into those now. But but I really really hold on to that. You know, the people like me who are getting older and older. Um, boy, we can't wait for those new bodies for sure. Thank you, Greg, appreciate it very, very much and your kind words are a blessing. Let's go to Victor on line three. Victor, thank you for your patience. You're on the air.
5: Yes, sir, Pastor Ron, Uh, I was uh, gonna ask exact same question. Uh, uh, This is the first first I've ever heard uh, of us uh, when we die, uh, that we're gonna actually have a physical body Uh, when we leave this earth and we leave our mortal body uh, going, you know, like the the familiar scriptures, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 51 through, I think, 58. And then again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses, I think, starting with verse 13 down to 18. And I always understood and and been taught that that, that, um, at the rapture, which I believe that's what this, this, this passage of scripture are referring to that event. That's when our, our decomposed physical bodies that we had, mortal bodies will reconstitute and join our, uh, our, our, I guess our spirit, our soul and spirit. Uh, and, and, and that's when we become complete. But now that, now that you just mentioned about the, the, that we'll be, um, at the lambs, uh, the supper of the lamb, uh, uh, that does that does that does uh, bring. A, I mean, it does make sense that well, then we if we're going to be having a banquet and we're going to be eating and we have to have a physical body. So I just I don't understand uh, uh, how to fit the two together. I just don't seem that they fit together. But that that passage you just mentioned just opened my eyes. And yeah, you know, you just might be right. I'm just wondering how that works about our. Physical mortal bodies that have decomposed, and uh, I don't know if you can maybe elaborate on that. I'll I'll go ahead and hang up, and I'll listen to your answer on the phone. Thank you Thank very much,
4: Pastor my Robert. my pleasure, Victor. You know one of the things that we need to we need to really understand here is 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 God has a plan, and 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 we we walk into that plan. Uh, in Philippians chapter three, uh, this is Paul writing. He says, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there." the lord jesus christ who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body now in the in the same text i'm going to have to get to the other one here uh, from john it's first john chapter 3 Verse 2, John says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be like has not been made known. In other words, it's a mystery. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for, for we shall see him as he is. I couldn't see that; the writing was too small. Thank you for my producer who read it to me. So th- those two passages are, you know, that's that's the Apostle Paul who had been to heaven, and John who would seen heaven, all this other glorious stuff by Revelation. So uh, for, just for me, it's real clear. You know, the the uh, we preachers we like visuals and. and uh, you know, people who do funerals, especially at, at cemeteries or, or when there's a lot of gravestones. It's neat to say, you know, uh, yeah, one day these graves are going to f- open up and, and all the people buried here who are Christians are going to fly up and be caught up in the air, and then we're going to immediately follow them. But, but remember, when it says that um, we will not precede them, it just means that the dead in Christ are already with him. And, and I'm going to take what John said in First John chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, we don't know um, what it is that we're going to be like, but we know this, that we're going to be like him. And, and Because there's no, uh, it's actually heretical to, to uh, think that Jesus is not in a physical glorified resurrected body. Um, so we're going to be like him. And I, I, again, to me, that's really clear. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, not not to be present in spirit, but just to be present. Victor, great question. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate the phone calls. Here's a question from Robert. This is an, another uh, crazy passage of Scripture. Robert says, Who are the people who come out of the tombs in Matthew 27? That's, you know, that's one of the moments. There's one verse in our whole Bible. None of the other gospel writers even mention this. But what happened... Uh, when Jesus died, when he gave up his spirit, the temple, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And Jews in Jerusalem around the Temple Mount, they could see into the Holy of Holies. They would think they're going to die. But it also says that at that moment, many of the righteous dead, clearly talking about Jews, many of the righteous dead were seen outside the tombs and they waited around until the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, they went into the city. And I'm assuming they witnessed now, we don't know who they are. We're not told. Are they the the, the, the the great saints from Hebrews chapter 11? We don't know. Are they just ordinary people that everybody would have known? Hey, you're dead. Now you're walking around. I don't know. But here's what I know, Robert. I know that their witness would be unbelievably effective. Can you imagine? I've been in that tomb for two years. and I want you to know that Jesus is God. And you don't want to reject him because, believe me, I know how real he is. So we don't know who they are. We know they're the righteous dead. We know that they were Jews. And we know that they were sent into the city after the resurrection of the Lord to witness. We don't know how long they stayed around. We don't know anything. We don't know if they lived longer or if after they were done witnessing, they immediately went in the presence of the Lord after he uh, was resurrected from the dead? Di- we don't know the answer to those questions, Robert. Um, and that one obscure verse, I think it's Matthew 27, verse 56, that one obscure verse really doesn't give us um, much information. I always tease and tell people that, that uh, um, you know, I think I have to know a lot, but the Lord says I'm on a need-to-know basis, and evidently he doesn't think I need to know very much. Well, in verses like that, that's the same with all of it. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, I have a narcissistic personality disorder. As a Christian, how can I overcome it? Two things really quickly. If you are a born-again Christian, you have already overcome it. It's that simple. Now, clearly you've had some sort of therapy. Somebody's diagnosed you. Uh, Narcissism is something that especially men are accused of now all the time. Most of it is nonsense. If you are a Christian, you have overcome um, any narcissism that exists. Why? Because the old you is dead. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So this is real simple. Get out of your flesh. You've got the power of God that raised Christ from the dead living in you. The old you, Anonymous, is dead. And all you have to do is walk in the newness of life governed by the Holy Spirit. And you know, the, the best thing about being a Christian is that you don't have to think about you anymore. I don't like thinking about me. If I don't think about me, I've got so much more time to think about Jesus. I've got so much more time to think about other people and, and and offer prayers for them. So this isn't some psychological problem. This is just an exalted view of self. And I'm going to tell you something, anonymous. Everybody not walking by the power of the Holy Spirit has an exalted view of themselves. What you do, what I do, what we want to do doesn't matter. As Christians, we have committed, by being born again, we have committed to doing what Jesus wants us to do. And it's so important we understand that. A good friend of mine, and I've shared this on this program before. I I talk so much, I share a lot of stuff multiple times. Paula says, that's okay, just tell me something 27 times and I'll finally get it. Well, I've got a good friend, he's a pastor, Damian Kyle, out of Modesto, California, a brilliant guy. Funny. He's funny because he's funny without trying to be. But he was speaking at a pastor's conference one time, and he said, you know, I have to get up every morning in that sleep stupor. I stumble to the mirror. I open my eyes eyes and I shout, no! And that's something that we all have to do. you got to tell yourself no, because unless you say no to you, to your flesh, you cannot say yes to God. And that's the way to get rid of a narcissistic personality disorder. Remember, you've already overcome it. Read your Bible. Be in the Word. Have enough faith to believe in the promises that God has made. But we're not the same person that you used to be. So just stop thinking about you. One of the things that I want my my guys here at the church, my pastors especially, to know is that those people who are always getting conversation back to themselves need to be redirected. I don't want my pastors talking about themselves. I don't want to make me the center of conversation or the center of attention. What I want is to make Jesus the center of conversation so that I can be a vessel through whom he works. And anonymous, the way you do that is you've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to yourself. And if the old you is dead, well, then everything that comes with the old you is also dead. All you've got to do is have enough faith to kill it when you get up in the morning. I don't know about you, Anonymous, but when I wake up in the morning, my flesh is going, hey, let's go out and play. I got to say no. I don't want anything to do with my flesh in the morning. Now, my flesh fights hard. But when I say no, and then I say yes to you, Jesus, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. That's me killing the flesh. And I'm taking the Apostle Paul's advice, offering my body as a living sacrifice. So I think here's a good uh, reminder for you. Every time you start thinking about you, you got to say no. And if if you have to say it out loud, don't worry about what anybody else will think. Just say no. Well, why are you saying no? Yeah, you know, Because I wanted to do something in my flesh again, and I had to remind myself that it isn't about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. And we've got to deflect from the attention we might get. It's one of the reasons social media is so dangerous. It's all about us. we got a keyboard. All we have to do is say no to us, and then people will see Christ in us. And we can be that fragrant aroma that the Apostle Paul talks about continually, that, that, that sweet smell of salvation. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. God bless you. Well, we've made it through another program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This is The Word to Stand Up For Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.